Well, that was really good. So regardless of how you came this morning, whether discouraged, dry, uh, distracted, tired, I hope that it, what we just did uh, filled you up, and I hope that I don't ruin it, is what I'm thinking. <laughs> well, last week we uh, had a challenging passage, didn't we? Uh, not necessarily because it was hard to understand, but if you're like me, passages like that sometimes are just hard to accept. Uh, there are issues in Scripture that are clearly black and white, and then as we saw last week, there are some issues that are sometimes kind of gray. Where we get into trouble is where we take what is gray, and we try to make it black and white, or we take what is black and white and we make it gray. Take premarital sex, for example. Biblically, this is a black and white issue, right? And yet, we know that that's not always the way it's seen in our world today. God created sexual intimacy as a gift for the marriage relationship between a woman and a man. But our culture has added all kinds of exceptions to this rule. In fact, I was driving to work just this week. And the billboard next to the loop had this big sign that said, love is love. By adopting that opinion, we take what is black and white and we make it gray. We justify all kinds of compromise by calling it love. After all, love is what matters most, right? Isn't that the main point? Well, actually, no, it's not the main point. The main point is a decision to honor God by living within the boundaries of his design, willingly submitting to his authority instead of being an authority for ourselves. You see, it's not primarily about our love for each other. As a Christian, our decisions need to be based primarily on our love for God. But when that's not the case, that's how we can take things that are black and white and turn them into gray because it becomes more about us, our wishes, our desires, our wants, and less about him. But sometimes we can do just the opposite, right? We can take what is gray and we can make it black and white. Remember when Terry and I were young parents, we were soaking up all the parenting advice we could get. I mean, just whatever you could give us, we were, we were all in because we had no idea what we were doing, Right? Well, at the time, there was a study that was really popular called Growing Kids God's Way. And there were some really good principles in this study, things that were really helpful. But if you didn't follow the teaching, it didn't necessarily mean that you weren't following God's plan for parenting as the name might imply. However, there were some who felt differently about that, right? They took what was an opinion about parenting and made it into a biblical mandate that there was only one way to grow kids God's way, taking what is gray and making it black and white. Today, we see people do something similar with Dave Ramsey's principles of financial stewardship. Again, great stuff there. Don't get me wrong. Really helpful information. But just because you don't ascribe to his budgeting principles doesn't necessarily mean you are sinfully stewarding your money. 
All this goes to say there's got to be a balance here between these extremes. And the answer is not simply doing what is right in your own eyes without regard to how it might affect other people. In fact, as a Christian, our choices should be deeply influenced by how they affect other people. Even being willing to let go of our personal liberties in order to show love. In other words, just because you can doesn't mean you should. There's a balance between following our personal preferences and giving preference to one another in love as Paul has instructed us. And and, and actually, that's where Paul is going to unpack that for us a little bit more this morning. So before we open God's word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do want to be open and willing and submissive to the authority of your word. We don't want to rule our own lives. That does not go well. Father, we want to submit to live within the boundaries of your design because within that design is goodness and grace and mercy and joy. So Lord, help us to believe that truth and as we come to your word this morning to accept that truth so that it may transform our lives to live a life to the fullest as you intend. So Lord, we trust you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. So turn to Romans chapter 14 if you would. And love for you to read along with me beginning in verse 13 of chapter 14 where Paul continues saying, "Therefore, Let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother or sister's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself, but to him who thinks it is unclean, then it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. The word therefore, anytime you see that in Scripture, it's really important to stop and consider what he's saying there because when that word exists, it's typically pointing back and drawing attention to everything that's been said up to that point, and that's certainly the case here. Namely, that we should not turn our personal preferences into biblical mandates that we expect other people to to follow. And we shouldn't feel superior to someone when we feel like we have the moral high ground or critically condemn someone who has an opinion that looks different than ours. Because as we said, remember, we are not called to be the Holy Spirit in another person's life. We can only be faithful to what God personally impresses upon us which, as I said earlier, doesn't mean that we simply do what is right in our own eyes without regard to how it impacts other people. In fact, Paul says here that our primary goal in our relationships with other people, with specifically brothers and sisters in Christ, is not to be an obstacle or a stumbling block in their way. And when he uses those two metaphors, they're actually very different from one another. The word for obstacle in the original language describes a baited trap. It's the idea of knowingly creating an opportunity for someone else to fall. 
stumbling block, on the other hand, is, is an unexpected hindrance. So this is where someone might trip because of my negligence. And what Paul is trying to say here is we are responsible to avoid either one of those situations. It reminds me of Cain's response. If you remember this, whenever the Lord approached him and asked about his brother Abel, which, as we all know the story, he had taken Abel's life. And knowing his offense, uh, Cain responds to God's question and says, am I my brother's keeper? In other words, am I responsible for his well-being? Well, what we learn from that account and what we see in our passages this morning is the answer to that question is yes. Yes, you are. We are responsible for how our decisions impact other people, whether they are deliberate or negligent. Either one, we are responsible. And technically, it doesn't even matter if you are biblically correct in your opinion. Paul says, I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. And what he's talking about here specifically in our context is the issue of eating meat during that day because there was an opinion that meat being sacrificed to idols was unclean. Well, we know Paul's opinion on that. He doesn't believe through Scripture's inspiration that, that, any, that, that a, a false idol doesn't even exist, so you can't defile meat being sacrificed to an idol that doesn't even exist, right? So there's nothing clean in and of itself. Maybe he remembers the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, when he says this. He says, listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, including food and drink. But things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. When it comes to the topic of food, Paul understands that his perspective is biblically correct. And you can apply that same logic to any variety of topics. He'll mention a little bit later, drink, as in wine. You could apply it to money. There's nothing inherently sinful about any of these things in and of themselves. In today's world, we might talk about our cell phones, right? There's nothing inherently sinful about any of those things. These are inanimate objects that do not have a will or a mind to think for themselves. So they can't be evil. They only become evil based on how they are used. And for some, meat that is used in the sacrifice of idols is considered to be unclean. And Paul says, to him who thinks it's unclean, to him it is unclean. Therefore, it would be wrong for that person to betray his conscience and go ahead and eat meat sacrificed to idols because everyone else is. Because in his heart, he just doesn't feel that that's right. To him who thinks it is unclean, it is unclean. And in the same way, it would be wrong for Paul to use his personal liberty to go ahead and eat meat and cause his brother to stumble. It wouldn't be right for him to do that and create confusion or cause his brother just to, to fall in because Paul's doing it, right? Even though he has the right 
it wouldn't be the loving thing to do. Let's think about a similar example that we could very much encounter in our own lives today. Let's say that you have a, a friend who has had a, a challenge in his past with drinking alcohol. And for you, it may not be sinful, but for him, it may be. And so it wouldn't be right for you to have him over for dinner and serve him or her a glass of wine. That would be deliberately wrong. Nor, I would say, would it be right for you to be at a restaurant where you know he's at as well and do the same and have a glass of wine for yourself. Because it's okay for you. But you're not thinking about your brother. One is a deliberate decision. The other is negligent. And Paul is saying both are wrong. Again, am I suggesting that we are our brother's keeper? Yes, I am. And as I understand what Paul is saying, I believe he would agree. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Sometimes it's more loving to limit your freedom for the good of someone else. And if you're ever in doubt, just abstain. Be the right thing to do. Look at how Paul continues in verse 16. He says, therefore, do not let what is uh, for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. You know, sometimes we can get really adamant about protecting our personal freedoms, especially in our American culture, especially in Texas, right? Personal liberty is one of our highest social values. We reserve the right to decide what, for ourselves what we believe is the right thing to do. And we de definitely, definitely don't want anyone else telling us what they think we should do. We'll fight against that all day long. But sometimes our personal freedom can be hurtful to other people. Remember, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Paul says, good that is abused can become evil. Did you get that? Good that is abused can become evil. If exercising our freedom, however justified we may be, causes harm to our brother, sister in Christ, it's wrong. In other words, our rights become wrong when they hurt other people. Our rights become wrong when they hurt other people. And Paul wants us to understand this goes way beyond just food and drink. After all, these are just worldly pleasures. Food is good. It's good for nourishing our body. It helps us grow healthy and strong. It's good because we get to celebrate that in a fellowship with other people. It's good. But much more important than nourishing our body is nourishing our soul and nourishing the soul of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul says that righteousness, righteousness is what ultimately sustains us for all eternity. Food and drink, that's just for earth. 
Righteousness is for all eternity. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, don't worry then saying what we'll eat or drink or what you will wear for clothing. He says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you will need all these things. But seek first his kingdom, and here it is, his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. See, more important than the satisfaction of a good meal is peace with those who are sitting at your table. Feasting on the joy of your fellowship is more satisfying than any five-star meal you could ever consume. Paul wants us to look beyond the issues at hand, beyond our rights, our privileges. He wants us to loosen our grip on our personal freedoms and see the bigger picture, choosing not to cling to anything that doesn't have kingdom value. Because when we serve Christ, part of what that means is we lay down our life for other people. We sacrifice our needs for theirs. And let me clarify here what Paul is saying, because I think what we need to understand is that these instructions that Paul is giving us here in this passage, I believe are intended for individual believers, personal choices that we make in specific situations for the good of a brother or sister in Christ. And there are a variety of issues and situations that we can find ourselves in, and in all of them, the goal is to protect unity, not to promote uniformity. In other words, the answer to difficult issues is not to come out and say with and take a vote and figure out what the consensus is and then mandate that everybody comply with that opinion. That's not what Paul's instructing us here. He's instructing individual believers in individual situations to make personal choices for the good of someone else. Because each one of us, if we're honest, wants everyone else to do what we think is right, right? But when it comes to personal preferences... There is no universal standard. The only universal standard that we all comply with is right here in this book. Personal opinions and preferences not included. Each individual is responsible for protecting the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We can't control the decisions of other people, but we can control how our decisions affect other people. You see the difference? Once again, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Sometimes we need to let go of our liberties in order to show love. You may legitimately have the right, but it still may not be the right thing to do. By following the example of Jesus, we lay down our rights for the good of other people. Look at how he continues in verse 19. He says, so then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. Good grief. It's not in there, but that's what I would say. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. 
It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he is eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Paul's saying, look, don't tear people down. Look for ways to, to build one another up. And in order to do that, we have got to shift our focus to the common good. Instead of debating our differences, we need to pursue what brings peace. So let's think about how that applies to the specific issue in the context of our passage this morning. They're primarily dealing with the issue of meat being sacrificed to idol. And the people who can eat meat in good conscience, knowing that it is not defiled, they can compromise without betraying their conscience. They don't have any problem with eating vegetables, okay? They just prefer to eat meat. But for the one who believes that that meat is unclean, to him who thinks it is unclean, it is unclean. And so for him to go along with everybody else, it would absolutely betray his conscience. And Paul says that's sin. When we in our heart believe something is right and yet we do something different. So in this example... The one who eats meat is the one who should let go of his liberty in order to show love. The one whose faith is strong should build up the one whose faith is still growing. Let me illustrate it this way. When we go backpacking, we have a rule that we talk about before we ever set out on the trail, and the rule is this. We leave no one behind, which means we only walk as fast as the slowest person, right? We only walk as fast as the slowest person because in the wilderness, you can find yourself in some really dangerous places if everyone does their own thing. But if you stay together, you'll be able to stay safe. And I think the same thing is true in the church. This is not a place where everyone should do what is right in their own eyes without consideration for how it affects other people. After all, the world already is a dangerous place. Why bring it in here, okay? We would be much better staying together than we would be doing our own thing, which requires us to adjust our freedom for the good of those around us. And Paul makes it explicit in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to look at this passage with me, if you would, because I think it gives us a really good example of practically how this is being lived out. Listen to what he says, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. You'll see a lot of overlap from what we've just walked through in his Romans passage, but listen to it again. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify or build up another person. Let, one seek, let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. He says, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Okay, so this is uh, possibility number one. This is somebody who's going to the market to buy meat, who knows that meat being 
uh, sacrificed to idols can't be defiled, and so in good conscience, they can buy that meat, go into the privacy of their home, and eat that meat, and it's not an issue. That's situation number one. Now look at number two, verse 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake, but... If anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that which I give thanks? The idea here is don't, condemn, don't take a good thing and make it evil by doing something that hurts the other person, which is exactly what he's saying in Romans. Look at how he continues. Verse 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to either Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but for the profit of many, so that they may be saved. Here's the kingdom principle, okay? Don't miss this. Even if it's lawful for you, always do what is profitable for others. Even if it's lawful for you, always choose to do what is profitable for others. Our decisions should always have a redemptive goal in mind, laying down our rights for the good of other people. See, each of us is in a different place when it comes to our walk of faith. We have different strengths and weaknesses. And believe me, every one of us have strengths and we have weaknesses. We have gifts and we have abilities. Each person has their own preferences and convictions. And we shouldn't expect the next person's walk with Christ to look exactly like our own. Instead, we need to cultivate a culture of grace where everyone has room to grow. Limiting our liberties in order to show love. And look, we know this fact. But the fact of the matter is, there is no better example of this than what we see in the life of Christ. And that's what we are called to follow. Look at how Paul explains it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He says this, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, we may have to sacrifice some freedoms in our lifetime for the sake of our brother or sister in Christ, but we will never, ever, ever sacrifice as much as Jesus did for us. He is the one who is the creator of all, who became the servant of all. The one who gave his life to give us life because of his great love. The one who humbled himself to the point of death so that we could be glorified in heaven for eternity. So, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. That is the example 
we are called to follow, laying down our rights for the good of other people. John reminds us in 1 John 4.11, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's Paul's point in this passage. What you see in the life of Christ is what we are called to follow. But as we said in the beginning, there is a balance here. Uh, One author explained it this way. He talked about how you've seen uh, in the circus the tightrope walkers, and very often they carry that long pole to help maintain their balance, right? He says on one side of that pole is Christian liberty. On the other side of that pole is love for others. And in order to maintain stability in the church, you've got to be able to keep both of those two realities in balance. And so I want to leave you with just a couple of suggestions of what that balance might look like as we close this morning. The first one is this. Be considerate, but don't compromise. Okay, that's the balance. Be considerate, but don't compromise. See, we need to be sensitive to the principles of other people. And when we can, we should, by all means, adjust our freedoms to accommodate the other person. But the reality is we have our own principles as well, and we need to make sure that we don't betray our own conscience just to make someone else feel better. It's more important to do what is right in the eyes of God than to please man. So, there's a balance between being considerate without compromising your own convictions. Secondly, we should be convinced, but don't be condemning. Be convinced, but don't be condemning. Remember, it's not our job to be the Holy Spirit in someone else's life. Our goal is not to convince others to be just like us. Now, hold firm to your conviction, but don't judge others according to your own personal standards. We want to create a culture of grace where people always have room to grow, which brings me to my final balance. It's this. Be consistent, but always be willing to change. Be consistent, but always be willing to change. Hold firm to your convictions, but know if you're like anybody else in this world, your convictions are going to change over time. In fact, the longer you live, the fewer non-negotiables that you're going to have on your list. Okay, just trust me, it's going to happen. There were a lot of hills that I would die on when I was younger that I won't even fight anymore, right? But there are also a lot of liberties that I used to enjoy that my conscience no longer allows. The fact of the matter is, no one stays the same. Grace is what gives us room to grow. So be considerate, but don't compromise. Be convinced, but not condemning. Be consistent, but be willing to change. Those are attributes of what it looks like to keep this in balance. And remember, we're talking about personal preferences, not biblical truths. Okay? This is what we all comply with. The other one, we've got to accept the reality of diversity and love each other otherwise. I think Paul says it best in Ephesians 4, chapter, one, or chapter 4, verse 1. So let me read this to you because I think it summarizes it better than I could. It says this. 
Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, that's me, that's you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's the ultimate goal. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the work of your spirit who takes that truth and settles it deep inside our soul so that it changes how we see things. Lord, protect us from getting caught up in our own personal freedoms and preferences that we are so prone to protect with such diligence. May we loosen our grip. Just for a moment, look and understand some of the principles of people around us that may be different than our own. And if there's a way that we can let go of our liberties in order to show love for them, then help us do that. Help us to sacrifice something of ourselves for the good of someone else. And Lord, thank you most importantly for giving us the most beautiful, perfect example of what that looks like. Sacrificing your life. Sacrificing even the fullness of who you were to be able to come human like us, to be tempted in all things yet without sin, to be grieved with sadness, to be hurting for people, to show love and kindness. Lord, help us to see your example of how you serve the needs of others is more important than your own, and may we go and do the same. We pray this in your name. Amen. One of the ways that I would hope that you would consider putting what we talked about in application tonight is if you have the time, come join us out on the front lawn and let's have dinner on the ground together. Share a meal with each other, share fellowship with each other. Um, if you're a visitor, this is a great chance for you to get to know some folks. If you are a regular attender and you've been here a while, make sure you look for somebody that you haven't had a chance to meet and let's make this a fun time. Just so you know, there's no program. We're not going to do anything special other than just being together as a family, sharing a meal, and enjoying each other. So what a great way to put into practice what we've been talking about this morning and the last several weeks. So let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing life with this family. And Lord, I know that uh, we all have our strengths. We all have plenty of weaknesses, but you've knit us together in great, great love. Help us to protect that. Lord, help us to be diligent to demonstrate that love as we care for one another, even if that includes letting go of some of our own personal liberties in order to show love to the other person. Lord, thank you for the many examples of what that looks like right here in the life of this church. But may we continue to grow in this cultivating a, a culture of grace, kindness, and tenderness. Thank you for the privilege of sharing life together until you come again. And Lord Jesus, we pray together, come, Lord Jesus, come. Until that day, may we be the light of your love to the world around us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.